Well, I have to admit, I've never heard that song. How many of y'all have not heard it? Most of them, okay. <laughs> That's a good song. We need to hear it again before Christmas season's over. So, if you will, get your Bibles and turn with you to Matthew chapter two, verses one through twelve. We're continuing today the looking at the miracles of Christmas. Last week we looked at the virgin birth and how impactful that is on our lives to this day. And today we're going to look at the miracle of the Magi. But I want to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. Now, we've got 12 verses to read this morning. Stand with me as we read God's Word together. And we begin in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his stars in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least of, among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from, from them what time the star appeared. And, they, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child. And when of you have found him, bring him back to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till they came and, and, it, and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced ex with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts of him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us to come again on this Sunday morning of this Christmas season. And Lord, we just open our hearts and our minds up to what actually took place that day, those days of, the, of leading up to this story today. And, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to see that Christ came for every one of us. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just put in our hearts this morning the desire to see and learn more about you. Go with us over these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we continue looking at these miracles of Christmas, today we're looking at the miracle of the Magi. Last week I mentioned to you the, the miracle on the Hudson River up in New York City last, uh, within the last few years when U.S. Airways Flight 1549 ditched in the Hudson River. I said we can't be certain that was a miracle, a true miracle of God because it might have been just simply the skill of the pilots, the crew. I got an email or a text from one of you. I'm not going to call any names, but here's what they said. It had to be a true miracle. And here's what they reason. Number one, all 155 people on board survived. Number two, 
with the passengers standing on the wing, it looked like they were walking on water. But the main reason why this was a miracle, according to this individual, nobody claimed the crash was President Trump's fault. That, that makes a lot of sense. But anyway, but it's, today we're looking at the miracle of the Magi and what, what took place. And that, uh, the passage that we just read, you can turn there if you want to, or follow along there if you want to, but there are some popular misconceptions about these magi. First, most people assume there was only three of them because of the song we sing, We Three Kings, and because they gave three gifts, if you notice as we read through there. But we're never told how many there actually are or were. They could have, there could have been two, there could have been three, there could have been 23. We don't know, actually. It never tells us. But I think from the songs we sing, and we've decided it's three in our minds, so that's what we go with. But nonetheless, we'll, we'll live with it. It probably took them the entire caravan to carry supplies as these brave men embarked on a journey of almost a thousand miles. Now, I've Googled a little bit, and that's pretty close from driving from here to Chicago, Illinois. That's how far the trip was. Uh, they traveled across some of the most inhospitable terrain on the planet Earth. So this was not an easy trip, but they traveled it for the reason to see this Christ child. They were convinced he was there. They were convinced who he was. Also, many people wrongly assume that the wise men appeared the night that Jesus was born. Actually, they arrived several weeks or even months after Jesus had been born. It also says clearly that Mary and the child were in a house by now, not a stable. But you don't have to go home and change your nativity scenes for Christmas. It'll work fine. Don't worry about it. The King James Version translates magi as wise men. That's where we get that, why we think they're the wise men. Now, let me throw in this little also note. Some women think the term wise men is an oxymoron. Like jumbo shrimp or rap music or military intelligence. Some clever women have even pointed out that if the Magi had been women, the story would have been a lot different. For instance, said that they would have asked directions sooner than what the guys did. Number two... They would have arrived on time. Number three, they would have helped Mary deliver the baby. Number four, they would have cleaned up the stable. And number five, they would have brought practical gifts like pampers and baby wipes and formula. They would have also left a casserole before they left. left. And after leaving, they would have heard, you would have heard the words, that baby doesn't look a thing like Joseph. So who were these guys? Most scholars believe they were the most educated, intelligent men of the ancient world. They were like the, like, most likely from Persia or Babylon. That's where they came from, probably. Now, we don't know that for sure again. We get our, our, our English word from magic, from magi. But don't picture these guys as illusionists or men involved in the cult, or anything like that. The word comes from an Arabic word, which means educated, respected, and religious scholar. They were the scientists, if you will, of their days. 
rather than magicians as we have that word in our minds. In fact, Dr. John MacArthur, one of my favorite Christian writers, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, he wrote about these men. Here's what he says about them, and I don't disagree. Because of their combined knowledge of science, agriculture, mathematics, history, and astrology, they became the most prominent and powerful group of advisors in the Medo-Persian and subsequently in the Babylonian Empire. That's the Gospel According to Matthew by John MacArthur. Uh, The point is I'm trying to make is that these men weren't dummies. They were brilliant men in many ways. They were the most... (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I'm fighting getting the cold or something other, so we all bear with me a minute. Maybe, maybe it won't break into a coffin fit. They are, again, they were the most intelligent men of their age, and they devoted a lot of time and money and energy to find the Messiah and worship Him. It really is true that wise men still seek Him to this day. So what's the meaning of these prophecies? How did they know about Jesus? The Magi knew that the, king, the Jewish king would be born in Israel. But they didn't know exactly where he would be born. So that's why they had an audience when King Herod, as they were searching for him, they stopped there. Herod was immediately jealous of any rival to his throne. So he became enraged when he heard a king of Israel was going to be born just seven or eight miles down the road. He wanted to find this new king as well but not to worship him like the wise men, but to kill him because he was a rival. But that's the next message. That's week after next. Herod quickly summoned the Jewish priests to study the prophets to find the answer to Magi's question, to the Magi's question. There were actually two uh, Old Testament prophecies, can't even talk this morning, that were fulfilled at this time. Not where the Messiah would be born, but when he would be born. The Magi knew when the king would be born according to Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. You can look it up if you want to, but that's where they found out he would be born. How did the Magi know where to start looking for this Jewish king? It's important to remember that Daniel and many other Israelites... Thank you, sir. I'll take back all those things I said about you. (laughs) Thank you. Daniel and many other Israelites lived in the exile in Babylonia 500 years earlier. Another clue that they were from Babylon is the word magi, which is found 14 times in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel delivered a miraculous prophecy to to Daniel. Gabriel was the same angel whom 500 years later would appear to Mary to announce the birth of Messiah. Remember last week we talked about the the angel coming to Mary and said, don't worry about it. This is of of God himself. And so that's tying the two of them together, if you will. Gabriel told Daniel exactly when the Messiah would be, be born. The message wasn't some weird dream or things like that. It was a direct, clear message delivered from God to Daniel through Gabriel in the Old Testament. To simplify it, Gabriel predicted 
that from the time the announcement was given to rebuild Jerusalem would be exactly 483 years. Now, that's a pretty precise prediction to be made back in the B.C. times. That was a pretty important tradition. The Persian emperor Cyrus issued an edict allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem. From that date until 33 A.D. was exactly 483 years. The day that Jesus was crucified, if you will. Now, does that sound like coincidence? God had it all planned exactly. Now, that's using the uh, Jewish calendar, so don't go home and look at your calendar and try to figure it out. But, but this is one of the most amazing prophecies in the entire Bible. 483 years, and it came out exactly where it should have been. Folks, God had a hand in this. And God has a hand in everything we do today if we'll let him have it. So what does that have to do with the Magi? Matthew 2. Most scholars believe generations of Magi had been studying Daniel's prophecy and were counting the years waiting for the time when it would be fulfilled. You may wonder, well, why more people haven't figured this out and said, wow, the Bible is really true. And the prophecy proves Jesus Christ is really the Messiah. That's what this passage in the Bible does for us. In fact, throughout centuries, many scholars, even Jewish rabbis, have studied chapter 9 of Daniel and come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. In his book, another one of my favorite authors, Ray Stedman, I think I've used him a few times, he wrote, It is interesting to note that in the 17th century, a very learned Jew published a book in which he set forth the claims of Jesus Christ to be the Jewish Messiah. In the preface of the book, he told how he himself had been converted by listening to a debate between a knowledgeable Jew and a Christian convert from Judaism over to Christianity. The moderator of the debate was a learned rabbi, Simon Luzato, and as the Christians pressed the claims for this passage home, it became clear that the passage was pointing to Jesus Christ. A Jewish rabbi came to that conclusion. Simon Lozato and his Christian, said Christian pressed the claim of, it, of, in that, uh, of being Jesus Christ. The rabbi Luzato closed the debate with these words. Let us shut up our books, for if we go on examining this prophecy, we shall all become Christians. That's the first prophecy. The second thing we see, the Jewish priest knew where the king would be born. That's found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. The Magi knew when, they just didn't know where. They had access to Daniel's prophecy but not to Micah's prophecy. If they had read Micah's prophecy, they probably would have bypassed Jerusalem anyway and proceeded straight the seven or eight more miles it is to Bethlehem. When Herod consulted the Jewish priest, it didn't take them long to report it was prophesied that the Messiah, Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which was a small village about seven miles south of Jerusalem. When the Magi 
learned the answer to their question, they set out on that short road to Bethlehem. But what about the other miracles that took place? What about the miracle of the light to guide them? Remember, they had traveled a thousand miles at least. And they claimed it was by the guidance of a light up in the sky. Most of us would probably call it stars. But there was something different about this light. It went the exact route. It moved exactly the way it's supposed to. It stopped over the house. Well, there are thousands of stars over the house. But this one must have been different in some way. It wasn't the same. How did they find Jesus? When the Magi left Persia, they didn't have a map quest print out or how to get to Israel. They couldn't program their destination into the GPS and have some female voice say, right turn, you better get it right this time. Go back, redo it, so forth. The Bible calls it a star, but that's not what most people call every light. But that's the same thing as what most people call every light in the sky. We call them stars. There has been endless speculation trying to explain the nature of this light because it wasn't an ordinary star. We don't know what it was. But I know this. It tracked exactly where they needed to go. And that's only from God. You go out in the stars tonight and you pick out a star and you, I mean, sometimes you can, you know, the North Star and things like that, we can, we can look at it and follow it a little bit. But this was totally different. For a thousand mile trip, this light led them exactly to the place where they're to go. Now, how did it do that? It was of God. The Bible calls it a star, but that's what most people call every light up in the sky, except the sun and the moon, hopefully. There's been some endless speculation trying to explain the nature of this light. And nobody can explain it. It just doesn't make sense to us. We look at them, we can see them. But yet, think about if you were taking a trip across West Texas and your only means of direction was looking up and find a star out of the thousands and thousands that are up there to take to you, take you to a place that's so specific that the Bible says that the star was above their house. That's of God, folks. There's nothing else that could do that. I think the Scripture even refutes all these natural explanations. They saw the star at times, and then it's apparent they didn't see it. When they, got, when they stopped in Jerusalem... And then even that saw it again and were overjoyed, the Bible says, that they saw the direction of light one more time. Now remember, you're just seven miles from Jerusalem. And yet that star even there began to guide them, the seven last places, if you will. The language says the star moved ahead of them and then stopped over the house where Jesus was born. By the way, did you catch the house that Jesus was born He's a long time out of the stables by now. This would em- eliminate the possibility of it being a star because that just, it could not happen. Well, if God did it, I guess it could. But in our sense, it couldn't happen. I believe that was simply a unique light that God provided for this special occasion. Now, we may call it a star, and we do in the little plays and 
next Sunday night when the kids put on the play, I'm sure they'll talk about the star of, that, would, that guided them and so forth, all these things. But think about it. It's, humanly, it's not possible. But yet God was in control of this situation. It stopped right above the house. It wouldn't be the first time that God did this. If you remember, in the Old Testament, God provided a pillar of fire to guide the Israelites when they left Egypt through the darkness of the desert. When you're traveling in the desert, you travel mostly by night. At this day and age, anyway, it'd be a lot cooler. That was a supernatural light that God used to announce the supernatural presence of Jesus. God used that star to let people know it's not average. Something's different. Think about it. The death on, of Jesus on the cross, God sent supernatural darkness. When Jesus hung on the cross, it became apparent, uh, completely dark from about noon to about 3 o'clock. It wasn't a thunderstorm. It wasn't an eclipse. It was thick darkness that God, I believe, represented who is light, taking his face away from the side of his precious son and becoming sin for our sins. Jesus on that Christ, on that cross, God literally turned his face away from it. Such a gruesome sight. And then it became dark for about three hours. We read in the Easter story. And that's what God did this time. Yes, it was a miracle of God. When the Magi saw the light again, the Bible says they were overjoyed. When you see the light, you'll have the same reaction. The birth of Jesus was indeed a time of miracles. But what does it mean to us? What does that possibly have to do with us over 2,000 years later? The birth of Jesus was indeed a miracle. Of miracles. But what does it mean to us? Let's consider two or three things. As I consider the miracle of the Magi, I see at least four important lessons that apply to our lives today. Number one, the wisest people honestly seek God. The honest people, the wisest people honestly seek God. God gave us an important invitation through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We've already established that these men were part of the most academically, intellectually advanced brotherhood, let's say, in the ancient world. Today, many people who consider themselves intellectually and academically superior scoff at the claims of the Bible. That's nonsense. Nobody can believe that. That's an archaic book. It doesn't need to be used anymore. So they ban them from our schools. They ban them from other places. I like what the great theologian Jerry Clower used to say. Some people have more educated are, some people are more educated beyond their intelligence. I think he's pretty right. There are, there are two different kinds of atheists and agnostics. There are the honest atheists and the dishonest atheists. What's the difference in them? Well, glad you asked. 
A dishonest atheist says, There's no God, my mind is made up, and I'm not, happy, I'm not opening to any evidence. An honest atheist says something like this, I don't believe in God now, but I'm open and searching for the truth about whether there really is a God or not. If you're here today and you have one of those ideals, then we're praying for you. One of my heroes of the faith, I've again told you several times, but C.S. Lewis. He was a world-renowned academic who was an atheist earlier in his years. But he came to believe that God exists and the claims of the New Testament about Jesus are true. One of my favorite quotes by him is this. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. If the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Have you honestly sought to find God's truth? It can't be together. It's got to be one or the other. It's either Jesus or it's not Jesus. We've got to decide that, each one of us, for ourselves. God reveals his plans for anyone to discover. The Bible's God's word in which he outlines not only what has happened but also what will happen. There's a special blessing promised in the book, in the Bible. Did you realize that? God promises each one of us a special blessing. It's found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who fear it and take to heart what is written in it. That's still a prophecy for each one of us, a promise that God makes. That's true specifically of the book of Revelation, but it's also true of generally all the entire Bible. God hasn't hidden his plans from anybody. He wants you to know what his will is for your life. The Magi read God's word given through Daniel, and they figured out the Messiah would be born at a certain time. These were brilliant men. Anyone else with access to Daniel's prophecy could have known the same thing if they'd searched for it. But as far as we know, these were the only ones who figured it out. Contrast them with a Jewish priest who had all the prophets to study. And even though they knew the Messiah would be born only seven miles away, they didn't seek him to worship. Here are these religious leaders. Jesus was born seven miles down the road, and they didn't even care. That reminds me of people who have the Word of God available to them, but they never take it seriously. They never sit down and read it. They had the gift of God that would give them direction in life, and they didn't even bother to read it. We could be pretty harsh on them, couldn't we? Until we look in the mirror and say, look what I failed to do. I don't read like I should. That's why we have James chapter 1, verse 22. He tells us, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. That's a black point to us. Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. If you follow God's light, you'll always find Jesus. Always. The light in the deserts led them to Jesus because He is the light of the world. 
The Bible says in John 1, chapter 4 and 5, and then verse 9, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comp- comprehend it. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. These magi didn't merely seek Jesus as the answer to the world. These magi sought Jesus for one reason, to worship Him. To worship Him. What do we meet here every Sunday for? Oh, we have a good time. We cut up. We laugh at each other. and We have a good time with, in the Bible study and all the different things. But that's not why we're here. We're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They show us what worship is by what they did. First, they bowed before Jesus. They acknowledged that they were in the presence of someone far greater, far more powerful, and far more important than they were. These are the educated people back in this days, folks. What an amazing faith is required for them to worship a child. Now, if it had been Peter or somebody, it had been easy for us to see, perhaps. But they didn't worship an adult. They felt the feet of this baby. They must have known what it was. Secondly, they worshipped him by giving Jesus gifts. Amazingly, what amazingly insight they displayed at this choice of gifts. Have you ever thought about the gifts that they gave? They gave the gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. The gold is a gift to a king, basically. They recognized Jesus as a king. The incense was something used in worship to make an atmosphere. It was a gift for a priest. Daniel's prophecy that the Messiah would be cut off, of course that's referring to the crucifixion, they knew he came to die. But what amazing gifts they gave. He is our king, they said. He is our priest, they said. And he's also the Lamb of God who came to die for us to take away our sins. Myrrh is, was like in this day and age an embalming fluid. They laid him down to stop the progression of the decaying body, if you will. That's what myrrh was for. It lasted a little longer. It gave it a little bit longer. Many of you listening to wondering that already followers of Jesus... Like the Magi, you saw the Lord with all your whole heart. You opened God's Word and discovered His plan. You followed the light and discovered Jesus is to be all you need and more among us. But maybe you're wondering if God has a word for you in this miracle. Here's the message. God can use you as His light to direct people to Jesus. God no longer places lights in the sky to guide people. He places His people like you and I to be in the light as people walk by to tell them, Hey, do you know about Jesus? We're set here at this church to be a light on the hill, a beacon to draw people in, a place to come and worship 
just like they worshiped that baby that day. That's what God calls each one of us to be. Are we doing that successfully? What are the stars? In fact, several years ago, we went out to visit my, at the time, young granddaughter, and she's grown up a little bit now. She's about eight years old, I think, Lily. And Lily wanted me to watch a movie with her. It's a cartoon movie, and I've shared before, I don't really like to watch movies. I'm not a movie person too much, but it was my granddaughter, so that changed it. As we were visiting my little granddaughter out in Lubbock, I was watching with her a, a movie called The Lion King. Anybody know what that is? Okay, I just want to make sure. It came to that funny scene where Simba, Timon, Tim, Timon I guess it is, Timon. See, I told you, I, hadn't been, I don't watch movies. And Pumbaa, is that right? Hey, we got now. They're all laying on their backs looking up at the sky, and Simba asked what the stars are. What are the stars? Timon confidently answers, they're just fireflies that got stuck in that big bluish-black thing up there. Pumbaa, oh, and all this time, I thought they were big balls of gas burning millions of miles away. Timon says, Pumbaa, with you, it's about everything's gas. Stars are burning balls of gas in space, like our sun. Modern astronomers can tell us what the stars are, but they often have no clue of why they're there. One reason God placed the stars is to guide us. Wait a minute, I thought you said they don't move anymore. No, but we can still get guidance from the stars if we'll let it. The North Star, the North in the Northern Hemisphere, and the Southern Cross of, of the South of the Equator, stars have always been used to guide people. God wants you to live like a star, not a rock star, not a movie star, not an athletic star. He wants you to live like a spiritual star who guides others to Him. That's the call for each one of us. I'm grateful. About 48 years ago, God used a youth minister in Fort Worth, Texas to guide me to Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that because it changed my life forever. Why don't you stop right now and thank God for who or what led you to Christ? Can you imagine what you'd been if you hadn't? Have? You say, well, it's just been a few years ago. So what? I don't remember the exact date of mine. I know it's got to be that much because I know how old I'm getting. A couple years younger than Judy. So she always reminds me. I'm the young one in the family. Will you shine for Jesus and be the light they need for people? Jack London, the famous adventurer and writer, wrote this, and we'll close. He said, I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather be a. I'd rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze, than it should be sniffed out by dry rot. I would rather a superb meteor, every atom of me, magnificent glow, than to be a sleepy and permanent planet. What he was saying was, he wants to be something for Jesus Christ.
Is that your desire? Do you have a burning, compassionate, passionate desire to guide people to Jesus? We're supposed to. Jesus tells every one of us to go out and tell people about Christ. Did you know if we don't follow that, I start to say suggestion, command, that we'll answer for it one day? There are people outside this door that I believe God has already lined up somebody for you to speak to. It wouldn't do any good for me to speak to them because God's lined you up. He's got the ones who line up me also. But folks, we're to be telling people about Jesus. You don't have to carry a 10-pound Bible and walk up to somebody and hit them over the head. Let me tell you about Jesus. All we have to do is live like Jesus on a daily basis. And it'll make all the difference in the world. Maybe you're here today and you've never discovered Jesus to be your king, your priest, your savior. God placed us here today to brightly burn and shine like a star so that people can see us and they'll come in the doors. We have first-time visitors here this morning. I'm not going to call her out, but it's just it's, we're glad to have her. We've got other visitors here this morning. I don't know what drew them here. Now, I've already told her. She said she's looking for a church. And I said, well, you just found it, so quit looking. She said, not quite yet, but anyway. I'm, I'm kidding about this. But God's called us as a family of God to be a light that draws people in, no matter where it's at, whether you're at Walmart or H-E-B or Jack in the Box for that matter. God can use you if you let him. Will you seek Jesus with your whole heart as the wise men did? Did you notice they came to worship him? Is that your true motive for coming to church? You'll find the same flood of joy they experienced when you turn your life over to Jesus and let him guide it. About 2,000 years ago when he did that. That's what Jesus is to us. And that's what he expects of us as a church body. Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you for this time you've given us. Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ that died in our place. Oh, we just ask now that you go with us in this invitation. Lord, you know the needs of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. and We just ask that you would just watch over them. We thank you for our visitors, whether they've been here one time or a hundred times. And, Lord, we just ask that you would guide them. Lord, if it be this church, we'll thank you for it. But if it's someplace else, then, Lord, that's your will. That's all we want to seek. Lord, as we go into this Christmas season, we just ask that you would let us realize what Christmas really represents. That we would be the people that you've called us to be. That we'd be the church that you've called us to be. That, Lord, we would do what you've called us to do, no matter what that is. Trusting you for the results. Go with us now through this invitation. And if there be anybody here that does not know Jesus as their personal Savior, and they'd like to, our deacons will be standing here on the side of the room. They'll be glad to talk to you, show you in the Bible what the steps are. But the main thing is that you would come to Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.